The title of today's message is Fruit in the Midst of Heartaches and Hardships. Not exactly a poetic and trendy title. It certainly doesn't flow off the lips with flair, but consider the deep meaning of it for a moment. There is fruit in the midst of heartaches and hardships. Are you going through something right now? Is life hard? Is family hard? Is work hard? Is faith and worship in church and community hard? Is rest and fun hard? Are there broken dreams? Is there death and bereavement and grief and loss? Are you experiencing some form of suffering and pain? Are you tired and worn out? Are you weary? Are you about to throw in the towel? Is school hard? If so, good. You're in a great spot. You're in the right place. Many years ago, I hit a wall and I had been in and around various forms of ministry for about a decade. And the pace in which I was living caught up with me. My lack of Sabbath backfired on me. My body was changing. I was getting older, meaning I couldn't eat junk food and still feel like Superman, like you can when you're 18 or 19. Uh, The growing sense of responsibility, uh, the constant needs of people were wearing on me. I was getting crushed under the weight of various and conflicting expectations on me as a pastor. The church I'd helped start was growing beyond all of our capacities and competencies. We were in way over our heads uh, for a host of other reasons that I'm still unpacking and working through to this day. I lost joy for life and I became angry. And then because I didn't deal with the anger, I became anxious. And because I didn't deal with that, I became depressed. And because I didn't deal with that, I ultimately became numb. And you know it's a bad day when you're 27 and you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And not because of millennial laziness or that stereotype, but simply because the pain and suffering on the inside, in my case, it was emotional and mental and spiritual and relational pain and suffering. It was just too much. Um, I began counseling for the first time in my life, and uh, when I entered into my counselor's office, I had no hope. I, I literally believed other people could be helped, um, but for me, that was too far gone. I had too much pain to deal with. I had hope for other people with Jesus, but for me, I thought even as a pastor, Jesus can't help me. And it was truly um, kind of the first time in my life I felt completely hopeless and in despair. My counselor began our work together by quoting to me C.S. Lewis. He said, Drew, pain is God's megaphone. Pain is God's megaphone. We began a two-year journey looking at the pain I was feeling and asking God what he was saying to me through the pain. And there was so much for me to learn in this pain. Uh, Once I surrendered to God, In this, what I found out and was surprised with is that he grew certain fruit in my life that seemingly couldn't have happened unless there was some plowing of the soil of my heart. And so for you right now, what pain, what suffering, what heartaches, what hardships are you facing? Do you think it's possible that God wants to plant and grow some of his fruit in the soil of your heart? And if so, what would need to happen for you to experience 
more of God in your life? And I'll just give you the answer right now, right up front. The answer is you just yield to him. You surrender. Now you could like stop this video and, uh, and, and just go do that. But, um, I hope you stay with me. So if you have a Bible, let's go to James 5. We're going to be in verse 7 through 12. And next week, we will end James, uh, the, James chapter 5 in the whole book of James with um, a look at prayer. So timely. James 5 verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of our Lord. Verse 7 begins with an encouragement to be patient because the Lord is coming. Now, this phrase, the coming of the Lord, will be something James reminds us of three times in three verses. And I think the reasons for this repetition are to remind us that, uh, first, this life on earth is not all there is. And second, that God is watching. And third, that he's doing something in our lives right now. It's easy to lose our patience under trial when we think that everything on this earth will be set right before the coming of the Lord. And the reality is, while we do pray your kingdom come, and while we do actively work to see heaven come down on this earth right now, um, the reality is, is not everything will be restored and set right until that great day of the Lord. So this reality of the brokenness and the broken world that we live in, it persists on us and it requires uh, steadfastness, patient endurance. And, and if we are to grow and be healthy and mature in Christ and in this time, we must learn to be patient in the kind of the grand transition we're in, this transition from the self and the flesh to the spirit, from this time on earth into the new heavens and new earth. It's a grand transition and it's a time to be patient. It's a call and a teaching I don't like. Patience is a curse word to me. Uh, I don't like to wait. I don't like slow. I don't like pain. Um, I'm not a lover of patience. That's my flesh speaking uh, another way to define patience would be to say, stay put and stand fast when you'd like to run away. 
Warren Worsby said that. And it's a great um, confrontational definition of patience because we live in such a mobile society. We can um, get up and leave anytime something is uncomfortable to us or anytime we disagree or anytime we just get bored. We can quickly just, you know, turn that off or turn this person off or unfriend this person or go and do whatever. And it's it's kind of easy to not exercise the spiritual dif- uh, the spiritual discipline of patience. And so um, we're going to look into that a little bit deeper. Did I say I don't like patience? Um, But nevertheless, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, in this life, we will have tribulation. It's unavoidable. It's not a question of if, it's when. And Jesus clearly defines there, if we want peace, we have to look to him, not the world. Tribulation is unavoidable. Welcome to Church Online. I hope you're having a good time. Uh, James gives us three examples of patience in the midst of heartache and hardship. Uh, The three examples are the farmer, the prophets, and Job. Um, today, for the sake of time, we're just going to highlight one of those, and we're going to double-click on the farmer and kind of dig into that. If you want to um, dig into the prophets and Job and all that, that's wonderful stuff. But for our sake, we're just going to focus in on the farmer. Uh, the second half of verse 7 and then later verse 8, it says, um, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, farming is a great analogy here. Farmers have no control over the weather, and the crop you grow, it doesn't grow overnight. And so basically, the only thing a farmer can do is cultivate. You can plow and plant, and then you wait, and you're patient, and you pray for rain, and you yield to the environment. And you are really subject to the environment. Too much rain early can uh, be harmful. Not enough rain late can scorch the plant. Um, You know, farming is an exercise of patience and trust. For most of us, we are modern digital people. Most people watching, listening, uh, probably work in the knowledge economy of some sorts. And, And so especially if you're younger than me, you're a digital native. You don't remember life before the internet or the iPhone. You uh, probably weren't around to see 9-11 happen in real time. Um, And so this is challenging, especially for young people. Um, The famous app is called Instagram, not Wait-A-Gram. We are submersed in a digital and microwave culture. And so this this whole call to be patient, like the farmer, is so countercultural to us. Uh, We might even wonder, why does the farmer endure the grueling patience, and all the work of plowing and planting uh, to just hurry up and wait, uh, hoping and praying the weather cooperates. Uh, Why doesn't the farmer choose another vocation? I mean, these are all kind of modern questions we might ask. The answer is actually not hard. The reason the farmer persists in patience is the fruit. The fruit is valuable. The fruit is literally what the farmer's life depends on for sustenance and for income. The farmer, to the farmer, fruit is precious. And it's actually the word James uses. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. 
And then the analogy quickly uh, moves to you and me. Uh, it says, you also be patient. And then the command here, establish your hearts. And uh, do you see the image? Um, James is saying, you and I are spiritual farmers. We are spiritual farmers looking for a spiritual harvest. Now we can expand on that and take a cue from the teachings of Jesus. We would say that our hearts are the soil and the seed is the word of God. And this precious fruit that we long for and wait for and establish and cultivate for is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so with all that said, let me ask the question again. Are you going through something right now? Is life hard? Is family hard? Is work hard? Is faith and worship and church and community hard? Is rest and fun, restoration and relaxation hard? Are there broken dreams? Is there death and bereavement? Are you experiencing some form of suffering and pain? Are you tired and worn out? Weary, about to throw in the towel. Are you tired of the coronavirus? Are you ready to put 2020 in the rearview mirror? If so, good. You're in a great spot because God is producing a harvest in your life. More than you, it is God who wants to plant, grow, and produce a bountiful harvest of His nature, His fruit. In your life. And sometimes the only way he can get certain fruits in us is to move some things around or to use the agricultural analogy to plow up the hard field. You know, the thing about patience is it's only grown in your life one way. If uh, I remember early on being told, don't pray for patience because then you're going to lose your mind. You're going to have all these opportunities to be patient. If you want more kindness, uh, God will put people in your life to be kind to. Um, if you want more love, God will allow situations to develop or only his sacrificial love is the answer. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is precious. But often, uh, the soil and the conditions that they grow and mature in are painful. Now, while the heavy lifting and ultimate responsibility is on God to grow his fruit in your life and in my life, we have a choice. You can grow impatient. You can grumble. You can whine. You can post to Instagram how upset you are and how disappointed you are in people or life or circumstances or the world or a political party or whatever. You can choose distractions. You can numb the pain with Netflix and a bottle of wine or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime Video or whatever is your choice of vice. You can run and hide from the pain and the suffering, and that is totally your choice. You can do that. You can. Or you can surrender to God and you can yield to him and his purposes. You can call on his name. You can pray the prayer, the super simple prayer, three words, come Holy Spirit. Or you can pray a dangerous prayer that just goes like this, Jesus, I give you permission to turn over the tables I've set up in my heart, which is inspired by when Jesus cleanses the temple. It's a, it's a very simple prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. Don't pray it unless you mean it because he will flip the tables in your life if you pray that prayer. There are a lot of simple and disruptive prayers you can pray um, to allow God uh, to consent to him plowing the soil in your heart. 
When was the last time you invited the Holy Spirit to water, to soften, and to till up the hard ground of your heart? Here's the deal. We all have areas in our life that are hard and that need to be established or cultivated or watered or softened or you get the point. We all have them. The question is not whether you have them. The question is, have you surrendered those to God? And are you willing to cooperate with the work he wants to do in that area of your life? God will grow the fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not my fruit, your fruit. Our job is not to grow fruit. Our job is to simply bear it. Our job is not to grow the fruit, but we must yield to him and welcome the harvest of precious fruit. And this is, I think, what James means when he calls us to establish our hearts. That's, that's your role. That's, that's my role. That's the role of the church. That's the role of Christian community. That's the role of uh, discipleship. That's the role of ministry is to establish hearts, to make disciples, to uh, baptize in the name of the full Godhead, to immerse people in God's identity, to uh, teach them the ways of Jesus. That is the work of establishing and growing and maturing and building up. That's our role. Like Dallas Willard said, and, and I like to quote him on this all the time, is, is grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Uh, what we're talking about here is, um, is not earning fruit, um, but the farmer doesn't stand around and do nothing. There is effort in cultivating a garden. There is effort, um, but the growth comes miraculous from, from God, right? Verse 9 goes on to say, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here's another reference to uh, the day of the Lord. Um, and I never understood why in this verse James would go from a call to establish your heart like a farmer and then all of a sudden talk about not grumbling against one another. But after thinking about it, I think I've got it now. Um, you might need to use your imagination, but with the setting of agriculture in your mind, and the farmer waiting for the harvest, you might picture a farmer with a sickle. And maybe James is saying, use your sickle on the fruit, not your family. Have you been using your sickle against your family, your brothers and sisters, either literally or in Christ? Often when we're patiently walking with others or patiently enduring a situation or a circumstance, we can lash out against one another. We can grumble, complain, gossip, and judge others. As Jesus says, we can murder people in our hearts by the thoughts we think about them. It's just crazy. Read the Sermon on the Mount. And when we do that, we miss out on the precious fruit that God wants to grow in us. You are a spiritual farmer. Use your sickle to harvest fruit instead of harming your family. In verse 11, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have uh, seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What's brilliant here is James bookends his letter between these two ideas. In, in James 1 verse 12, he says the same thing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, 
he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And this is a beatitude. It's a blessing. There is a blessing, a precious spiritual harvest to be had. When you stick it out in passionate patience, instead of running because it's hard. When there is pain, suffering, heartache, and hardships, God is compassionate and merciful towards you. A lot of times when stuff hits the fan of life and uh, we get maybe disoriented or um, discouraged or disappointed in things not working out how we thought, God is often quickly placed in the dock as if he's put on trial, as if it's his fault. But the healthy and the wise see it like Joseph in Genesis 50, who told his betraying brothers, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Where is God preparing a harvest of spiritual fruit in your life? And how might you surrender and cooperate with him? Here's the reminder of the gospel. Jesus is the best example of this. He was patient every step of the way. He endured pain, suffering, heartaches, hardships, betrayal, loss, more than anyone. In fact, literally, Jesus displays this on the cross. While being crucified, he prays for the forgiveness of those killing him. He's having an evangelistic conversation with one of the thieves on a cross next to him while the other thief is mocking him. And he is arranging for the care of his mother while taking his last breath. Uh, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man, the, the son of man, the son of God, who remains steadfast under trial. He did it. A lot of people think Jesus died of asphyxia because the most common way for um, the crucified to die would be to drown in their own blood because of how the Romans um, designed crucifixion. But the gospel writers give us a clue that that probably wasn't the case. They, they tell us at the end that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. They say that specifically, that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And you, you might have to wonder, why did they specify that when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out in a loud, in, in a loud voice? We don't hear of the thieves crying out with a loud voice. We hear Jesus crying out with a loud voice. And doctors and scientists who have studied this and have like investigated what was going on on Jesus' body from the time that he was kept up all night on the night that he was betrayed and, and everything his body went through. Um, and the, the presence of water coming out of his side when the soldier struck his side. Um, Kind of, I don't understand this fully because I'm not a medical person. So if you have a medical background, this might make more sense to you. But, but what, what medical professionals tell me is that it is believed that Jesus um, died of a heart attack. And that, and that, that you know, the sack around his heart that holds water is what ruptured. And that, that's, that's why there's water coming out of his side. And, and, and so if that's true, and if the reports that I've read uh, lead me to believe that that's true, then, then literally... Jesus died of a broken heart. He, he died of true heartache and hardship, that, that the sin of the world actually broke his heart. And he took it upon his body in a literal sense. And that body then, like a seed, was planted in a tomb. And after three days, there was new life. And, and, and because of the resurrection, we worship on Sunday, not Saturday. The Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day of resurrection. It's the day when life, when something very fruitful came out of a seed 
that died and was buried. Gospel is the greatest analogy, the greatest hint of this. So what is God doing in your life? What situation has been hard? And even though it's hard, and God sees that, what other people may have meant for evil, what the world may have meant for evil, what the enemy may have meant for evil, God means for good in your life. And I would just encourage you to pay attention to that and to give in to that and to surrender to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we just thank you first for sending Jesus to be for us the life we couldn't be, to do the things we couldn't do, and that he ultimately took on all of our hardships, our sickness, our sin, our heartaches, our pain, our death, our grief, our bereavement, our loss, our broken dreams. And he took all of it and he finished it off on the cross. And God, I just simply pray that in each of our lives where there is opportunity to be patient in suffering, I ask that you would give us the eyes to see where you're at work. Give us the eyes to see where you want to grow more of your fruit. And I ask right now, God, that you would uh, just speak to each and every one of us on maybe a specific fruit of the Spirit that you want to see planted and grown and flourished in our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, on the fruit the precious fruit that you want to grow in this season that we're in. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness, your mercy, your compassion. Even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. Help us to know that, to believe that, to trust in that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us pray as our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.